You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Good Tuesday afternoon. Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And I, I want to apologize for the voice. Uh, we got down below 20 degrees last night here in Tennessee. And, and uh, man, the, uh, the voice is struggling. This, uh, this, this southern country boy is hurting this morning. <laughs> so we're going to try to muscle through, and hopefully it doesn't sound like uh, fingernails on a chalkboard listening to my voice. You're, you're probably going, man, with that with that accent, it always sounds like that, Clayton, so we're used to it, but that's all right. Um, I want to say that today's show is brought to you by Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, or FGR. It was birthed out of the burden to help those in our community and congregations who come out of a difficult past or an addictive lifestyle. I appreciate everything they're doing and um, making the change out there in this crazy little world we got. And uh, we just gave away our autographed Quay Walker jersey actually hit the mail this morning uh, off to Aaron in St. Paul, Minnesota. So uh, congratulations on that, man. Now, we've announced our next giveaway, um, which we're really excited about. We're giving away a Paul Horning autographed jersey. That's right, the Golden Boy uh, Hall of Famer, Paul Horning, uh, multiple championships up there with Lombardi, one of the uh, really probably in the early going, the centerpiece of that Packers offense. You know, he was drafted when the Packers were so bad. And then, of course, Lombardi comes in and, and you know, his words, not mine, said that Paul Horn had become like a like a second son to him. And um, he, uh, you know, kind of took over that franchise, did everything. You know, he played played halfback. He also kicked field goals and extra points. Um, also, at times, he was he was big on the halfback pass. He I believe he played quarterback at Notre Dame. So he had some a little bit of experience throwing the ball anyway, winning the Heisman up there for the Notre Dame fight in Irish. And um, just a. Uh, an all-timer, man. Some people would say he he would be the starting the starting tailback uh, in a uh, all NFL team period of all time, right? I mean, some people feel that strong about it. But we got an autographed jersey. It's the home green Beckett style from pristineauction.com. Going to be giving that away to one lucky listener. All you got to do to enter the contest is go to my Twitter page, and you'll see a tweet pinned at the top of the page. That Twitter account is at Packers underscore access. That tweet that's pinned at the top of the page, um, we'll have another t- uh, tweet attached to it and basically all you got to do is retweet my tweet and make sure you're following the account that'll enter you in the contest one time but the tweet that's attached to that you'll notice is a tweet from ryan schlipp pack daddy himself um and it's promoting a fertile ground ranch discipleship ministry and they've got a link there where you can donate for every five dollars that's donated to that cause you will be entered into the contest one additional time so there's no limit on how many times you can uh enter yourself into that you know through donation if you you know, if you donate, you know, $500, right, that's going to get you 100 extra entries. If you donate, you know, whatever, $50, right, that's going to get you an additional 10 entries. So just keep that in mind. Um, and uh, I don't know if the math was right on that first part or not. I'm from Kentucky. You know, um, it's all right. You guys have already dismissed it, I'm sure. <laughs> but with that being said, let's kind of get into the show. And, and I had something planned out here, guys, because, you know, we got a long week before before we get to game day and, and – 
a lot of the focus is starting to gear towards the future of the Packers, right? And we've been talking about evaluating the current roster and contracts and things of that nature. What I was going to do today is look at the roster as a whole from a starting standpoint, meaning, you know, our, our typical three wide receiver sets because we're in 11 the majority of the time, 11 personnel, one running back, uh, one tight end, which means three wide receivers. So I'm going to kind of lay out who our starters are coming back next year as it sits right now and kind of where they rank and whether we need to try to find a replacement or an addition there that would step right in as a starter. And then on defense, I'm going to do the same exact thing coming from a nickel perspective because the majority of the league plays the same 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, which triggers our nickel defense, two defensive linemen, two outside edge rushers, two linebackers in the middle. Essentially, it's a, a nickel two, four, five, two D linemen, four linebackers, five DBs, right? So you're going to get three corners, two safeties, and two defensive linemen, two edge defenders, two linebackers. I'm going to lay out what our starters would look like today uh, for next season and then uh, kind of uh, attack that and see where we might want to make some additions. I just thought it was a good way to look at it globally because this is – I'm going to give you the rankings through the NFL, guys. So you're going to see how these guys stack up against the, the rest of the entire NFL, okay? And to me, that's what puts into perspective where somebody's playing starting caliber or not. If you're not in the top 32 of your position – then you're not considered a starter in my eyes. You're playing well below that position of starter if indeed you're number one on the depth chart. So we're going to look at that. But something came up last second here, and I wanted to hit on it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got a little bit fiery about it on, on Twitter, but also it, it it's a good opportunity for us to learn a little history. And that's right, we're going to get a little bit of a history segment today. And I know a lot of people have been asking for more history, and uh, I've kind of steered away from it because when you're in season, there's plenty to talk about. And we got the whole offseason that we can really dive into that history aspect of the Green Bay Packers. But um, Matt Ramage, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, love the guy. Um, if you guys ain't following him, make sure you hop on there and find his Twitter account. Um, actually, I'll read it off right now. You're probably already following him. He's got way more followers than me. Been doing podcasts way longer than me. He's one of my favorite podcasts out there. And I actually found him through um, – uh, through Ryan. Ryan had actually recommended him in a tweet or on a podcast one time. And I was like, man, let me check this guy out. And, I, and he was spot on with it. But it's at Matt Ramage, at M-A-T-T-R-A-M-A-G-E. And he put a tweet out 10 hours ago. And it said, anyone talking about the Packers need an owner, just block me. Lots of teams with an owner uh, with zero championships. Players, coaches, training staff, concession workers, and janitors are more important than a billionaire owner. And so I wanted to kind of comment on that. First of all, I responded to it and I'll tell you what I responded with here in a minute. Um, let me read Pack Daddy's response to that. Ryan says, I can't think of a single positive to an owner. I think it's mostly the quote all in crowd that, uh, that wants the team to be reckless. They want a guy to force the GM to get, go get big names and ruin the team. Um, I completely agree with that take. I do. Guys, we got a unique opportunity, right? A unique uh, I don't know, opportunity, a unique situation, I should say, with the Green Bay Packers and us being fans. Um, there's not a that's, there's not one other sports franchise in the world, to the best of my knowledge, definitely in the United States, that is publicly owned. And what I mean by publicly owned, it doesn't mean the government runs it. God, could you imagine if the government ran the Green Bay Packers? My God. Um they would, they would be bankrupt so quick, it's not, not even funny. But it's basically owned by the city of Green Bay. And it's because the people in Green Bay have 
over the years bailed this franchise out. When the franchise was first started, I'm going to lay a little groundwork and I'm going to play a video for you. When the franchise was first started, okay, it was basically Curly Lambeau coming back from Notre Dame because he was sick. Ironic, you know, I'm sitting here with a, a sore throat and the voice probably sound like I'm 12 years old. Um, he, he gets a strep throat and has to come back from Notre Dame. And when he gets back to Green Bay and gets healthy or what have you, um, he's passed on the street by a man named George Calhoun. George Calhoun was one of the editors at the Green Bay Press uh, Gazette. He actually worked there at the Green Bay Press Gazette. He knew Lambeau, covered Lambeau's high school career, which Lambeau was one of the one of the best high school football players in the entire country. That's how he got to play for Newt Rockney at Notre Dame. He actually started as a freshman. A lot of people don't know that. Lambeau was a dog on the field, no doubt. But he, uh, George Calhoun says, hey, man, have you uh, since you're back in town, have you thought about starting a Sandlot team? And I didn't know this before, but reading in Cliff Crystal's book that I've got this four-book series here on the history of the Green Bay Packers, I think the name of it is The, the Greatest Story in Sports. Um, he talked about how Lambeau, I believe, was coaching baseball at the time, too, back home. But George Calhoun kind of talks Lambeau into, hey, let's, let's build us a Sandlot team. So Lambeau gets some of his old high school players together, and they put together a team. I, I don't want to go through the complete history of the Packers. I just want to kind of lay the foundation for what I'm about to play for you. Um, so essentially Curly Lambeau and George Calhoun both created the Packers. If you watch my live streams, whether it's chalk talk or draft coverage or whatever we do, anytime I'm on camera, you see this background with the jerseys. If you look over in the corner, you will see a picture. It's actually just right behind the Christmas tree that my wife put up up here. Um, you'll see a, a split image and it's uh, Curly Lambeau on the left and George Calhoun on the right. And it's right next to all my, my stock ownership, right? All the, all the stocks, uh, that I purchased through the Green Bay Packers because they were the original owners of the Packers. They were the two guys. They were the founders of the Packers. And then as they hit hard times trying to keep the team afloat, the town always bailed them out. They'd pass the hat and local businessmen would come in. They had stock sales where fans could pitch in, right, and get a portion of stock of the Packers. You couldn't sell it, but it was, hey, look, you're part owner. You donated it to, to the team. You kept you helped keep this afloat. That's why it's impossible to sell the Packers, right? So they've got a board of directors that runs everything. You guys, I'm sure the majority of you know these things. But when this gets brought up about having an owner, a lot of people don't know that Curly Lambeau actually tried to overthrow the board of directors and become the owner. Now, I'll, I'll, please, I want you to understand my stance here. I, I'm not coming from a perspective of I'm trying to demonize Curly Lambeau. Without Curly Lambeau, there is no Green Bay Packers. Make no mistake about it, right? Without Curly Lambeau, Curly Lambeau won six championships, guys. Three with playoff formats, three without. Okay, he won six championships. I think there's only four coaches that's won more games, more regular season games than him. All right. So this guy is the main reason the Packers existed. But a lot of people don't know that he tried to overthrow the board of directors to take over the team. So I'm going to pause right there and I'm going to share a video with you here. You're going to obviously on the podcast, you're going to be hearing the audio here. And I want you to kind of hear this story told. And then I'm going to come back in and wrap it up and we'll get into the roster. But it's it's important because there's ramifications that come with having an owner, right? And I'm going to lay a couple of those out, which I responded with on Twitter. But let's let's play this video real quick. I want you to hear this portion of the story. And this comes from um, the legacy documentary, the Green Bay Packers. And you get a lot of Cliff Crystal in here. He helped with this project a lot. And um, this is at the end of the episode about the 40s. So this is, this is the end of the Lambeau tenor. And you can kind of see... Um, how things came to an end here. But here we go. 
from 1919 to this point, it's it's been Curly Lambeau and the Green Bay Packers for 30 some years. He's the face of the franchise. You wonder where the franchise is gonna be headed. George Whitney Calhoun had been working behind the scenes to try to get the support of other board members to vote no on the contract extension and essentially fire Lambeau. There are three no votes. Dr. W.W. Kelly, Gerald Clifford, and co-founder George Calhoun. In the end, they voted to extend by an 18 to three vote. He came out and announced that he was, uh, he had been re rehired as head coach, general manager, and vice president for two years. Rumors brew. The Packers were in financial difficulty, insolvency, and, it's, and if you're ever gonna pounce, that's the time to do it. You see, he had a pretty free hand with uh, running the ball club. We went on accounting of what's going on with this football team. Then I think that's when all the problems yeah. started. He told the committee, I happen to be on it, that if he had four investors who would each put up 50,000 bucks if we would change it to a profit-making corporation. Curly Lambeau is making a move to take over the Green Bay Packers organization. There has been a lot written about Curly's role and whether he wanted to move the Packers, whether he wanted to take control of them, turn them into a private corporation. And in a sense, Curly was entitled to it. Except, of course, the fact that this had to be a community football team and ownership had to stay in Green Bay. My dad and his group of people on the executive committee resisted Lambeau's attempts to take over the franchise. He was hoping to form a private corporation and this was going to be a private stock sale. Curly was engaged in a power struggle. Not only was he fighting for his job, but also for the full authority he once had in, in ruling the franchise. Packer. All right, so I just want to kind of lay the, the foundation there for you guys, right? And exactly what happened in the early going. Essentially, what Lambo tried to do was go behind the board of directors and get a bunch of local businessmen that would buy a portion of the stock and they would make it a profit earning organization. And guess who, guess what he was doing? He was essentially trying to maneuver himself to become the owner of the Green Bay Packers, the majority owner. That's what he was attempting to do. You know, some people speculate that he would essentially, quote, work for free. That way he has majority ownership and be the coach, the general manager, all that stuff. And he could just go to these business guys and go, look, man, this is just a, this is going to be a profit turning machine. Right. Well, obviously, he had had a falling out with the businessmen of Green Bay, which were all on the board of directors for the most. I say all loosely, but we're on the board of directors. What better way to stick it to him? Right. Than to maneuver his way in, get enough support, take over the team, get majority ownership, and then move it to Milwaukee. Again, this is no, this is not an attempt to bash Curly Lambeau. It's why I was so, you, if you guys remember, if you listened to my podcast from the beginning, I was very hesitant on talking about Curly Lambeau because he's my favorite Packer, personally. Someone who had that kind of vision and had that kind of love for the game of football and to be able to take a Sandlot team and turn it into the organization it was to where it was it was literally world-renowned. It was known all over the face of the earth as the greatest football team on the planet, right? He'd take them out to California and play big games, you know, all-star games against the college all-stars and things like that. And um, One of my favorite. 
this isn't this isn't an attempt to bash him or, or put down his name, right? I, I, honestly, he's done a good enough job of that himself, and it sucks. You know, it's why you ever where's do you ever hear about Curly Lambeau's family? You don't. I did a little bit of research and found one family member. I won't say exactly what the family member is, you know, how he's related, but found him in a state in the Southwest and was going to reach out and interview him for the show and couldn't get a hold of him. And it wasn't in an attempt of, okay, well, you just, you, you, you failed at getting in touch with him. No, it was, they really don't have anything to do with him. You know, he was divorced multiple times. This isn't to drag his name down, just to help you understand the type of person he was. He was, he was a wildcat, man. He was one of those guys, and you've seen it through throughout history, that when someone is is driven, they, uh, man, they 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 make they take big chances. You know, all these billionaires that are hated across the across the world, they didn't they didn't become billionaires just by you know inheriting money like a lot of people like to pretend. Um, they become billionaires because they were willing to take chances. You know, Jerry Jones. Some people love him, some people hate him. But that guy, man, he was an oil tycoon, and he was he was willing to put all the chips into the middle of the table to to try to strike oil and become rich. And he did it over and over and over again. You know, without risk, there's no reward, right? That's the kind of person that Lambo was. But thank God the people in Green Bay and the board of directors did not bite on that, and everyone stayed unified. And yeah, they went through a decade of turmoil there from, you know, from 1950 to 1960, essentially, before, you know, uh, Lombardi came in, I believe, in 59. Um, but they stuck together and kept it in Green Bay. So why do I mention that? Back to Matt Ramage's tweet. Anyone talking about the Packers need an owner just block me. Lots of teams with an owner um, with zero championships. Players, coaches, training staff, concession workers, and janitors are, mo are more important than a billionaire owner. Amen, Maddie. Amen. Now, I commented through this whole thread, and I'm going to tell you why I don't want an owner. Everybody acts like if you get a billionaire owner, now your team's at a, a much higher advantage. Now, as we step into the cash over cap era, right? Yes, having unlimited funds is very, very helpful. The salary cap is what makes the NFL what it is. It makes it so competitive that teams can't just go out and overspend, overspend, overspend and become the New York Yankees. Although it's funny, I'm a Yankees fan, right? But become a you know to to become the New York Yankees and they can buy a higher payroll than everyone else. But you've seen Major League Baseball have now inc incorporated several years ago what they call a luxury tax, which is essentially a salary cap, right? Where teams that go over that amount are penalized, right? And the teams that stay under are you know uh, rewarded. Now with the salary cap and this cash over cap, basically teams are allowed to pay cash for players and then allocate it later on, account for it later on, basically pushing out these voidable contracts and things like that. I would like to see the NFL tighten that up, sew that up in the next CBA, and come to an agreement, really, between the owners that, hey, look, we're no longer cash over cap is allowed. You know, Maybe put some kind of cap on how much cash you could actually spend. Right. So, yes, if you've got someone like the Kroenke family, or the Walton family that you know that that own you know LA Rams and the Denver Broncos they have endless amounts of cash eventually it will catch up to you if you get completely reckless right but what comes with a billionaire owner I'm glad you asked this was my response to the thread and I responded to Ryan's tweet and said here let me help with this I posted an article here now no matter who, which which news agency I mentioned here, it doesn't it doesn't mean that I support them or I disagree with them. This isn't a freaking political stance. Please don't make this conversation political. 
I just went out and got the most random articles I could find, and there was multiple. I could have picked from I could have picked from CNN to Fox News to whether you're conservative, liberal. I could care. I could give two craps. Okay, we're not going to make this political. I just posted links, and I'm going to say where the links came from. Okay, so CNN. Uh, Washington, D.C. Attorney General sues Washington Commander's owner, Dan Snyder. If you guys don't know, he's been cooking the books. There's uh, sexual uh, harassment allegations. They're not even allegations. They've pretty much been proven now. He was fined $10 million for that in the workplace environment that he created. You could go on and on about Dan Snyder. There's one, right? So there's one billionaire owner. The second one, Jerry Jones. Love him or hate him. Jerry Jones breaks silence on racy photos. This is where he was caught on his bus, his luxury bus, with multiple prostitutes, right? And yes, that's right. That's Jerry Jones is a married man with kids and grandchildren right here in the public eye, okay? Let's move on to the next one. Jerry Richardson, facing misconduct investigation, Panthers owner Richardson selling the team. I actually went to a business conference where Jerry Richardson was there and he spoke. Pretty cool guy. Sounds like a creep behind the scenes, right? Billionaire owner having to sell the team. Let's move on to the next one. Robert Kraft, you know how I feel about the New England Patriots, right? Love Belichick, love the Patriots, uh, you know, love following them and the success they've had. I feel like it's a blueprint for other teams if we're not willing to just sit back as fans and go, oh, I hate the Patriots. <laughs> There's a lot to learn from success. But Robert Kraft dodged charges from a prostitution sting. Basically went to an Asian spa to get massages, and I'll let your imagination handle the rest, okay? So, and then I responded to that one and said, I can do this all day. We're the luckiest fan base in all of professional sports for the structure of the organization. The second this team is owned by one person or a business group, it will be moved out of Green Bay so fast it will make Mark Murphy's snow tube spin. <laughs> I had to throw that in there because, you know, snow, snow is starting to fall across the country. And I love those memes of Mark Murphy. First of all, I'm not one making fun of him. I love Mark Murphy. I thought he's done a heck of a job, heck of a job in Green Bay. But, um, yeah, guys, the second that this team – is ran by a billionaire owner, they're getting moved out of Green Bay. I'm sorry. I mean, if it, they're at a minimum going to be playing multiple games outside of Green Bay. So if you want the team moved out of Green Bay and moved to, you know, wherever, name, name, uh, you know, insert large city in the, in the United States, then, yeah, get you an owner. Me personally, though, I want everything to stay right there in Green Bay. I want Lambeau Field to be the Mecca of football. I want to make sure that the, the franchise is completely protected, that we lean on that historical aspect of the franchise, right? So, yeah, it's just silly. But I, I wanted to hit on that because I woke up this morning and seen that tweet and was like, my goodness, man, that's, uh, that's wild that there are still actually people that are saying that the Packers, the Packers need an owner. The Packers don't need an owner, right? If, if the Packers were on pace to win 13 games again this year, nobody would be mentioning an owner. So one bad year, now we're ready to move the team out of Green Bay. It's just silly. Silly to me. So, um, All right, so we're going to change gears here, and um, we're going to move on to the next topic. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son 
and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. And that's going to be um, looking at this roster a little bit deeper, right? And what I've done, guys, I've got a bunch of tabs open here. Hopefully the audio quality is good, but I went through and got the ranking of each position from a starting formations perspective, okay? So what I mean by that, like I said before, these this is going to be 11 personnel. You're going to build you build your team, right, around the starting lineup of the formation you use the most. That's just NFL football 101. So 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, okay? That's what the offense is going to be built around the blueprint. And on defense is the nickel, you know, the, the typical defense that's called to cover a three wide receiver set, right, which in our case is a, a nickel two, four, five. Now, I've got some stuff coming up for Thursday's episode where I'm going to dive into some schematics and coaches across the league who's actually having success in offense and defense and give you a little bit deeper uh, deeper dive on that. What I'm going to do today is cover this roster. Let's start on offense. Quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, right? You've heard some people say, you know, uh, they should trade him. First of all, that's not an option. You, You enter absolute cap hell if you trade Aaron Rodgers. The deal was put in place, the back-to-back MVP, four-time MVP, won back-to-back MVPs the last two years. The deal was put in place where they gave him security. He kept making a lame duck comment, right? He kept saying, I I don't want to be a lame duck uh, quarterback, right? And what he meant by that is a quarterback that's going to come out and and be the one that takes the fall for a bad roster, right, and then turn around and they just cut him loose the next year or trade him, maybe even trade him somewhere he don't want to go. Right, which we all know he could retire, prevent that, whatever. So he was looking for security. He wanted some kind of commitment. So he goes to the Green Bay Packers, and what commitment did they give him? They gave him a three-year extension. Now, what's cool is Aaron's words, not mine, the three-year extension. You guys have heard me say this over and over. It's a one plus a two with the option of a three, basically meaning it's year to year for the next three years. He's not going to play beyond three years. He might retire after this year. He may play two years, right? It's either going to be a one-year, two-year, or a three-year. Nothing beyond that, okay? I understand things change. But in this, in this uh, situation, I think Aaron and the front office are on the same page. So if he does not retire, <clears throat> he will be back next year. So understand that this is assuming that he's coming back next year, which I think he is. <clears throat> All right. Aaron Rodgers right now, according to PFF, grades out as the 10th best quarterback in the league. Now, some of you are going, well, he's $50 million a year. No, he's not. He's 28.1 against the cap or 28.5 against the cap this year. Next year, he jumps to 31. That makes him the 13th highest paid player next year before any other contracts are added. Okay. So we got to stop with that. And I'm going to end it there. He's also playing with a broken thumb guys, a broken thumb on his throwing hand. And he's still grading out as the 10th best quarterback. The guy still has the arm. Now you could, you could say, yeah, he's made mental mistakes. He's missed open receivers. He doesn't look comfortable guys. When you have a broken thumb on your throwing hand, do you think you're mentally going to be completely in tune with, okay, I can make every throw on the field? It, you know, he may understand that the platform he's throwing from and what stance he's at, I can't make that throw with this thumb. I got to put more pressure on the thumb to, to really open up to the left and hit Christian Watson on that corner route, right? He's got to put his body in a different position to, to compensate for a broken thumb. That's just fact. 
That's not me trying to be an apologist. That's just the way it is. So he's great now as the 10th best quarterback in the league with a broken thumb on his throwing hand. Yes, I want him back. Once that thumb, they're probably going to have to have surgery on it in the in the offseason. When that happens, once they're eliminated, I would not be surprised <clears throat> if they have surgery on the thumb, right, get everything prepped, sit him, put him on the IR. You'll have Danny Etling called up from the practice squad to be the backup. Jordan Love will get his reps, and bam, we're, we'll, we'll just keep this train of moving, right? And then next year, Aaron Rodgers comes back healthy. You're going to see him. I personally think he'll definitely finish in the top ten again, but he'll probably climb back into that top five, if not top three. That's my personal opinion. Now, if he does just stay top ten, guys, that's still a top ten quarterback. What are we talking about wanting to get rid of him, right? So I want him back. So he grades out as the tenth best. That's a top ten at his position, absolutely. That position is sealed up. You're okay there. Not talking about three years from now, not saying Jordan loves the answer. He may be. I hope he is. But right now, you're good at quarterback. All right, up next, halfback. There's only one halfback in that 11 personnel. I know we run a lot of pony package, but the majority of the time, we're in 11 personnel. All right, your halfback is Aaron Jones. He grades out as the sixth best halfback in the entire National Football League. I'm telling you right now, I've heard several people say they should trade Aaron Jones because of his cap hit. Why not just restructure why, why not convert some of the base salary to signing bonus and free up that cap next year? Or whenever you need, you may not even need it next year. I've already laid out the cap situation. We're okay on cap. Do not believe the doom and gloom. There's going to be there's going to be minor restructures, if not major restructures, but at a minimum, we're going to go into this offseason, we're going to end up with 10 to $15 million to spend. If they want it, it may not trigger immediately. It may not trigger throughout the entirety of the free agency. If the Packers look up and say, we had a lot of injuries, and we're okay with the roster we got. I'm not saying I agree with that. But if they do, then it's going to sound like we're a lot, lot more strapped on cap, right? So just understand those those arguments are coming. They, they are. <laughs> but we're okay on cap. Aaron Jones, you bring him back. He's the number six running back in the league. He's the best player on this roster this year with Aaron Rodgers having a broken thumb. And if Aaron Rodgers' thumb heals up and he grades out 10th, then Aaron Jones is still the best player on this roster. Why in the world would we get rid of him? That's, that's just insane to me, right? Okay, wide receiver. This is where things get shaky. The top-graded wide receiver on this roster is Randall Cobb. He grades out as the 11th best wide receiver in the game. Now, he's not under contract next year, and I've got a few of these on here, okay? I'm going to try to stick to the people who are just under contract, but he is not under contract next year, right? Okay, I want him to bring him back. If Aaron Rodgers comes back, Randall Cobb will be back, okay? And if he if he competes to be, you know, in the top 64 wide receivers, it's going to be worth the money we bring him back for because he's going to be willing to pay for less than he probably made this year because he's now going to be 33 years old. This is your Julian Edelman top wide receiver on this team, the guy that can do the dirty work across the middle. The dude still has the hands in traffic. He can still uh, work the slot and get open. He's on the same page with Aaron constantly. Isn't it funny that Aaron barely misses Sammy Watkins? He barely misses Alan Lazard. He barely misses Romeo Dobbs. He barely misses Christian Watson at times, although him and Christian Watson got a heck of a connection going right now. But you notice that? But he never misses Cobb. But somehow, some way, Aaron Rodgers is being inaccurate. Maybe it's true that Sammy Watkins pulled up on that, that dig route. Maybe it's true that Alan Lazard was just a touch off because Aaron was expecting him to go full speed into that route, and you know he slightly overthrows him. I'm just saying. It's a heck of a coincidence he never misses Cobby. They're on the same page, right? That's the stuff that he's talking about. It's the stuff that Kurt Warner was talking about in his video, all right, which the haters, the Aaron Rodgers haters still refuse to watch, but 
It's neither here nor there. So <clears throat> I think you bring Cobb back, bring him back on a one or a two year deal, get him back under because that's going to be that's a that's a solid number two receiver in my opinion. I don't think he's number three. I think he's number two. And and when your slot receiver is your number two receiver, I think that's freaking huge. All right. So who grades out best next? Christian Watson, number seventy three. Guys, to put that into perspective, thirty two teams. In the top 32, you're considered a starting receiver in my in my eyes, a number one receiver, if you will. Number 32 would be the worst number one receiver in the in the league, but still you're grading out in the top uh, 32. I consider that a number one receiver. He grades out 73rd, right? So you do the math. 64, anything above 64 is worthy of a number two. Christian Watson, the way it sits right now, is a number three receiver. And I get excited about that. Because if he in, indeed is a number three receiver and you bring Cobb back, that means you go get a number one receiver and now Christian Watson, this freaking burner that you can line up at X and Z and stretch the field vertically, and now you've got a number one playing a little bit underneath where you're running a, a drive or a mills or whatever whatever you might want to attack underneath with, right? Then you've improved your roster tremendously. And Christian Watson is on, I think he's making a little over $2 million a year. Definitely under three, I'm pretty sure, being that second-round pick. Right. So he's a number three receiver. It is what it is right now, the way it sits today. He may finish the season and convince us he's a number one. And that will be absolutely awesome. I'm rooting for that. But right now he's a number three receiver. Up next, Romeo Dobbs. He grades out as the 89th best wide receiver in the league. That's a number three receiver, guys. Think about it. That's that's going to fall within that 96 range. OK. Top 32 is a number one. Top 64 is a number two. Top 96 is a number three. So you've essentially got a number one receiver, albeit a slot, right? And that that's that is somewhat problematic when when Kabi is mostly a slot receiver, right? If you bring him back and you give him a one year deal, which like I said, if Rogers comes back, I think Cobb's come back. I don't think Cobb's retired. Um, and you've got two number three receivers. So for me, you've got to go out and get a wide receiver. That was the whole purpose of this exercise, okay? I wanted to kind of point out where they rank across the league. I had somebody say earlier this year, I don't care that Aaron Rodgers grades out as a top-10 quarterback. Um, you know, you you can't look at it and say he's not falling off. Of course he's falling off. He's playing with an injured thumb, and now we know it's confirmed a broken thumb, a fractured thumb, right? But at the same time, I said, what, what are we doing, guys? Like, stay on task. Like, yeah. So now we're going to compare Aaron Rodgers with a broken thumb to his best year and say, all right, we got to cut him. We got to trade him, get him out of here. I'm done with him. That's insane. Not to mention the however many years he's given us with the organization. Is, is there not a little bit of loyalty there? Isn't it amazing? We want him to show up in the offseason when stuff is, I'm going to say it again, not mandatory. We want him to show up to voluntary workouts. But the second he has a bad year, those same exact fans are saying we need to get rid of him. Boy, talk about loyalty. Isn't that funny? Anyway, <laughs> tight ends. Guys, to the best of my knowledge, we've got one tight end on the roster returning next year. That's Josiah DeGuara. Okay? Now, you only need one tight end in 11 personnel. We know we like to run a lot of 12, but let's just stick with 11 personnel because that's the majority of the time the formation you're in. Josiah DeGuara is the only one returning. He grades out as the 44th best tight end. You do the math. He's a backup tight end. That's what he's proven now. We're three years into this project. He's proven he's a backup tight end. we got to accept that. So we need a number one tight end. So that's going to be a need right there, right? So we're going to get a wide receiver. We're going to grab us a tight end, okay? Up next, offensive tackle, David Bakhtiari. How many people 
there were there were multiple fans that wanted you know he just needs to retire. This is ridiculous. How long do we got to wait for this? First of all, it was a crazy injury that wasn't handled the right way. We know that one hundred percent fact now, right? But now you're starting to see him get healthy, and guys, he is he is playing at the same level, right? He's under contract next year as well. Okay, David Bakhtiari grades out as the number six offensive tackle. Okay, and I'm saying offensive tackle for a reason. We know he's a left tackle, and that's most important, right? But out of all the tackles, so essentially to be a starting tackle, you need to be in the top 64. That's that's how you need to break this down because they get the left tackles and the right tackles grouped together on PFF. So David Bottiari grades out as a number six tackle in the league. Bank on it, baby. So the two most important positions on this roster, quarterback and left tackle, in my opinion, on offense are the two most important positions, hands down. You've got the number 10 graded with the broken thumb. He's still the number 10 guy. And then left tackle, he's the number six tackle in the league. If you broke that into left tackle, he'd probably be number three if you if you break it down into left tackle and right tackle. So that's very, very important. Okay. So Batiari, bam, you got the two most important positions locked up on offense. Your opposite offensive tackle, Yash Nijman. Yash Nijman grades out at number 36 in the league. Guys, <clears throat> that's a starting caliber right tackle. And anything in the top 64 is starting caliber. Now, he can be brought back. He gets an opportunity to hit to test free agency, and we get a chance to counter and offer, you know, more than what he got. I think Yash will be back. It's too valuable of a position, and we're in a good spot to be able to get him back with some compensation if he does indeed walk. But I'd like to see Yash back next year, okay? So your two offensive tackles, you're good to go there, right? Starting caliber, don't need it, Okay. Let's go to offensive guard. We've got Elton Jenkins playing left guard now. Elton Jenkins grades out as the number 25 uh, offensive guard. Okay. Now, he is he does not have a contract. He is not under contract. He graded out as 67.8. This is tough for me because when he grades out as the number 25, that's you're getting in that borderline what should be the number one guard on your roster, right? I know you're, you're talking 64 within the starting range because there's two guards just the same as there's two tackles, obviously. But what are you willing to pay him? They're saying fair market value on Spotrax, $14 million per year. I'm not paying him $14 million per year. I think you let him test free agency, right? And if it comes back and it's below the number that you set, whether that's $10 million or $8 million or $12 million, whatever it might be, then you make the decision, okay, do we want to go lock him down? All right? So if you bring Elton back, you've got a starting caliber – Left guard, right? Let's move on to the backups. Zach Tom. Zach Tom's played guard. He's listed as a guard on here, but offensive line grades, I went through and accounted for them all. He grades out as the 24th best uh, guard, 68.7. Guys, he's got a better grade than Elton Jenkins this year. You see why I'm willing to let Elton walk now, right? But you're going, okay, well, you got to start two guards. That would be a great uh, two-guard starting combination. Okay, can Tom play right guard? Because we've seen what happened with Elton as he's moved around the offensive line, he wasn't the same person, albeit he's still recovering from the knee injury, but it is what it is. Let's move on to the next guy, John Runyon. I listed three here because, like I said, Elton's not under contract. John Runyon grades out as the number 41 offensive guard. Guys, that's starting caliber. And it's not you're, – you're not down there at the – you know, around 62 or 63 mark either at the bottom of the heap. At 41, you're, you're closer to uh, the top 32 than you are the bottom 64, right? So the bottom of 64, I should say. So you've got two guards right there. You don't have to have Elton if you bring Yash back, right? It, now, if you if, if the argument is you want to put Elton at right tackle, I understand where you come from. I do. But 
I'm taking Yash at the contract we can get him if Elton tries to break the bank. Now, Elton's had a down year. His value may go down tremendously. Maybe the Packers go to him and go, hey, look, there's a little bit of uncertainty in free agency. You know, with you coming off the injury, how about we give you on average $8 million per and give a little bit more guaranteed money because he knows the system and he's a little bit, little bit more stable in that regard. You could go that route. So the Packers, in my opinion, have the leverage on Elton Jenkins. And it's sad. I, I hate to say it like they're this object or just this piece of meat out there, right? But, I mean, he – Everything has gone wrong for Elton in a contract year, which it's why I don't bash players when they're trying to get their contract and they hold out, man. Because if Elton would have held out a camp and put their feet to the fire and really gotten you know gotten aggressive and got the contract that he feels like he deserves, then he wouldn't have to be worrying about this injury, right? Now, as Packer fans, we'd be going, man, what a horrible signing, right? So it, I, you got to understand it gets a little bit tedious there. But in my opinion, we don't need an offensive guard. I think we're good to go there, whether it's Zach Tom and John Runyon, okay? And that's why it's good to draft well late – to take offensive linemen late in the draft because when you hit on those – heck, David Bakhtiari for the longest time played left tackle, right? And he was on somewhat of a minimum contract because he was such a late pick, right? That's just a perfect example of it. It's how the Packers build the offensive line. So I think we're good at offensive guard. Center, Josh Myers. Man, you see the run blocking grades for the Packers offensive line and Josh Myers' run blocking grade <clears throat> typically shows up pretty bad, but his pass blocking has been excellent, right? So you got kind of that yin and yang there, uh, yin and yang, I should say. Um, so at the center position, he grades out as the 21st best center. That's starting caliber, guys, right? I mean, and it's not, it's not like you're hugging 32, right? I mean, 21, you're right there in the middle of the pack and you got two more years left off his rookie deal, he's probably going to get better each year. So I'm rolling with Josh Myers. So to recap the offensive line or the offense in general, I don't think you need an offensive lineman. Bach is showing he's healthy. If Bach, listen, if Bach was struggling and Bach couldn't stay on the field at this point in the season, I'd be like, you know what, we've got to make – we got to make offensive line a priority because Zach Tom's going to kick the left tackle, and we got to have a guard that can get the freaking job done. We don't want to go backwards to Royce Newman, right? Which is funny. Royce Newman actually grades out, um, I think, around 50, which puts him in that top 64 of guards. So take that as you will. I, I personally seen enough of Royce this year. It was disastrous. I mean, he was just – he did not play well at all, right? And we got to we got to acknowledge that. Just like Gary Cosell says, when you watch the tape, if you see it, you got to say it, right? So recap, I think you got to go out and get a, a, wide, a number one wide receiver and a number one tight end, period. You need more players. Don't get me wrong. That's not the only thing you get. But starting caliber, you're going to really want to key in on wide receiver and tight end, in my opinion, on offense. Let's move on to defense. Defense, defensive line. This is where it starts, guys. You guys know that, in my opinion, outside of the edge, defend, edge defender, defensive tackle is the most important position on defense, in my opinion. Um Defensive tackle, middle linebacker, and free safety, right down the center of the field. The boundaries are extra extra defenders for any NFL defense, okay? So I want the center of that field to be the strongest point of our defense. I do. That's why I don't agree with giving corners big money. You know who else doesn't agree with that? Our boy Bill Belichick in New England. Have you looked at his defense lately, guys? It has held the Jets to three points. I know, you. oh, it's the Jets. Uh, the Jets that beat us, right? The Jets that are tied for first place in their division, <laughs> the Jets that are pretty much a lock at this point, almost a lock for the playoffs, yeah, held them to three points and won on a special teams play. 
Now, you're probably going, yeah, Belichick's so great. Why is our offense struggling? Do you really want to know the answer to that? Because I know it, and I'm going to be covering it on Thursday's show. Because they switched to the Shanahan wide zone boot scheme. It's struggling, guys. Struggling. It's averaging is 15th. In PPP, when you take all of the teams, the 13 teams, I'm kind of giving a little teaser reveal here for Thursday's show, but when you take all 13 teams that run the, the Shanahan wide zone boot to a certain, a certain extent, they average out in points per play 15th in the NFL. That's why their offense is struggling. Probably didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to say it because I love LaFleur, but he has got to make some adjustments to this scheme. Anyway, back to defensive tackle. Kenny Clark. He's grading out as the number 48 interior defensive lineman. I want you to think about that. Number 48. He Now, you're going to be starting two of them, right? So 64 is worthy of starting. And the closer you get to 32, you know, you're number one on the depth chart. Guys, his cap hit next year, Kenny Clark's, is $20 million. $20 million. It's over $20 million for cap hit. And the way it's structured – if we cut him, we could only free up three million. The cap, the cap penalty is like just three million, you know, uh, less than the uh, cap hit itself. So you could free up, I think, roughly three million. We're not going to do that. Might be some restructure. That's one of those contracts where you could convert a little base salary and push a little bit out to free up room to make moves you need to make. But Kenny Clark's underperforming big time, and and you know I. There's been several people that's that said, oh, he, he always turns it on in the second half. Guys, we're in the second half, and he hasn't turned it on yet. And I'm sorry, if you're paying $20 million to someone, isn't it funny they want to get rid of Aaron Rodgers? And he's like the fifth, fifth or sixth highest paid quarterback next year. There's six quarterbacks that are more against the cap next year than Aaron Rodgers, and we want to get rid of him. And he's grading out as the 10th best at his position. Kenny Clark's grading out 48th with as much of a an impact from positional cap as Aaron Rodgers because, you know, everybody – we know you're going to have to overpay for quarterbacks, period, right? Quarterbacks and wide receivers are the hot commodity right now. The market drops the, the, the cost and the, the price and the value, not your opinion of the position, not my opinion of the position, right? But Kenny Clarkson issue, man, you want to know why that run defense is so bad? Right there it is right in the middle of the defense, the most important position. Now, what do the Packers do? They drafted Devontae Wyatt this year, right? So you need two defensive linemen in a nickel 2-4-5, right? With that nickel 2-4-5, Devontae Wyatt grades out as the 39th best interior defensive lineman in the entire National Football League at a 66.0. So essentially what that tells you is Devontae Wyatt is outperforming Kenny Clark by almost two, by almost 10 spots. Devontae Wyatt isn't even a top 32, right? Now, he's a rookie, and he's got to develop. I'm I'm very – I've got him as a hit in this draft class. There were three hits, in my opinion, so far from the information we got on this past draft class. Devontae Wyatt's one of those hits. I think he's going to be a great defensive lineman. That's what he's showing, okay? So, with that being said, you got to run with Kenny, too, but you, you, you better shore up that defensive line somehow, some way. So, in my opinion, you've got to go out there and try to find a defensive line that can light a fire. Now, Dean Lowry's seen a lot of snaps this year. His contract is running up. Jaron Reed saw a lot of a lot of uh, snaps this year. His contract is run up right after this year. I don't think they're going to bring them back unless they let them test the market and get them for a really, really cheap price. That's definitely a possibility. Um, but 
you got to go out and get you a defensive lineman that's going to compete. And what I mean by that is if Kenny Clark isn't the guy, get him off the field. We One of the things that Belichick does so well is if he's got a player that's not performing at a starting level and he's hurting the team, he doesn't care where he was drafted. He doesn't care how much money they've spent on him. His butt goes to the bench. I mean, you've seen it with J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson was the Patriots' best corner this last year, right? It's his contract year. The Patriots offered what they thought he was worth. He didn't like it. He goes to, I think, San Diego. When he gets to San Diego, they end up benching him. He played so bad, they ended up benching him. They broke the bank to sign J.C. Jackson in free agency. Now, later on, I think an injury was revealed, and that was kind of what was put on it. I think they were saving face because you could see he was playing horrible before then, right? So it's, it's all about putting the best 11 on the field at all times. I don't care your contract status. I don't care your draft pick status. You know, it's kind of what's hurt us at linebacker, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But for me, you got to go out and get you a, a better defensive tackle. And if he if he outperforms Kenny, great. If he doesn't, it's going to light a fire under Kenny, and you've got this, this great training camp battle. And then let's say they both emerge as starting defensive tackles along with Devontae Wyatt, then guess what? Your base 34 is going to be as stout as anybody in the league. You want to take – the negatives. You want to take the weak spots of your roster and in the offseason turn them into positives. That's the home run of the front office. You want to take the weakest spot of your roster and somehow maneuver to make it a positive the next year without hurting the rest of the roster. That should be the goal. So at this point, wide receiver, tight end, defensive tackle, in my opinion. Let's move on to edge. Edge, you got Rashawn Gary. This year he's grading out as the 13th best uh, edge rusher, right? We got the fifth year option activated next year. He's making a lot somewhere around 10 million a year or somewhere somewhere around 10 million next year. They're probably going to do a contract extension. I want Rashawn Gary re-signed. I want him to be in the long-term future of the Green Bay Packers. Right. Now, he's injured. Probably not going to be ready for week one next year, although I wouldn't ride him off because that guy is a beast. He is a training monster. I would not be surprised if come week one they they activate him off the pup or whatever. And he's ready to go. But we have got to be prepared if he's not, right? So who's the next best? This one's exciting. Kingsley and Igbari. He's number 45 in the entire National Football League, guys. Number 45 is a rookie fifth-round pick. Think about that. How exciting is that? A minimum rookie contract, and he's performing 45th in the league. Okay? You've got Preston Smith, who's performing 55th. Okay? So what's that tell you? That tells you that you've got two – um Really, you've got you got two backup edge defenders. What I mean by backup, they're worthy of that second edge defender. If Rashawn Gary is not ready for week one, edge is going to be a weakness for us. It is. Now, maybe Enigbore cranks it up and he climbs into that top 32 and you feel good about it. The way it sits right now, I'm letting it ride. I'm not concerned about the edge spot right now. So I'm going to say that's not a need to go out and try to find a starter, Okay. So let's move on to linebacker. This is where it gets a little bit weird. Devondre Campbell, he's number 14 in the entire league. Now, he's been hurt. Um, hopefully, he'll come off IR soon. We'll get to see him toward the end of the year. That would be great. But he grades out number 14. There is your starting middle linebacker. I think if he wasn't, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the slow start, he would probably still be in that top 10. I think he'll bounce back when he comes back or he'll bounce back next year. Okay, so there's your starter there. You need another one, though, right? Number two, Quay Walker. He grades out as the 60th best linebacker, guys. That's right at the bottom of that number two spot. That's not good enough. It's not. 
He's a rookie. You got to give him time to grow. I get that. He's got all the athleticism. It's exciting. He's one of my favorite players on this roster. I've bought multiple autographed jerseys by him because I think he's going to be a beast, but he is not ready yet. Now you look down at Isaiah McDuffie. Isaiah McDuffie, 62.3. He grades out as the 44th. Guys, that is significantly higher. That's 16 spots higher than Quay Walker. If Devondre Campbell was healthy right now, what I would like to see happen is Isaiah McDuffie and Quay Walker split some reps. What's wrong with having fresh legs? What's wrong with seeing if Isaiah McDuffie can play better than Quay Walker right now? you got Isaiah McDuffie coming back on contract next year. Why do we have to rush Quay into this? Why can't we bring Quay in on packages and, and pass rush a little bit? Why can't, you know, if you, if you have an exotic look where you're like, I want a real athletic linebacker in on this spot, but I want my other two linebackers out there as well, essentially a 4-3 defense, then maybe you work him in. I'm not saying they should bench him, but, man, you got to get the best players on the field, period. Now, with the Devondre Campbell injury right now, we're seeing those two guys on the field together. You're also seeing Chris Barnes, right, which I didn't mention. So um, with that being said, um, I'm not completely sold on Quay yet, but you got Isaiah coming back. I don't think we need a linebacker. I don't. So I think we're good there. This is all from a starting perspective, guys. It doesn't mean we're not going to draft one or sign one. It just means we don't need a starting caliber one yet. Let's move on to corner. Cornerback, Jair Alexander, he grades out as the 17th best corner in the entire football, uh, National Football League, okay? 17th and a $20-plus million cap hit next year. So what you're seeing, guys, is Kenny Clark underperforming, $20 million cap hit, and Jair Alexander, I don't want to say he's underperforming when you grade out number 17, but, man, when you look at Chalk Talk, at that last episode we did, and see how he's blowing coverages, it's, it's rough. When you see him get beat by Terry McLaurin in a one-on-one -on -one situation, game on the freaking line. You want your best against their best. Pat Kerwin, 101. When the game's on the line, think player, not play. You want that guy in the matchup, and he gets beat. That's not a good look. But he is a starting caliber at number 17, okay? So you're good at number one. Number two, Rasul Douglas. He grades out as the 34th best corner in the National Football League. That is at the top of those number twos. I like it. That's your number two corner. Here's the problem we've had all year. Eric Stokes, number 86. Guys, we have forced Eric Stokes into a boundary corner position, and he has underperformed the entire year. Last year, he finished in the 60s, and like we has talked about, usually when a rookie finishes in the 60s, they kind of take, take a step the next year. He did not take that step. He went backwards. He went backwards bad. So what is Stokes? He's a number three boundary corner. He's not a, he's not a star position corner. That's not what he does, right? I know you're probably saying, well, we haven't seen him there much. There's a reason we haven't. I think they they know that his ball skills aren't there. I mean, you see it. The ball's in the air. He's looking at the wide receiver who's not showing late hands by no stretch of the imagination. You see the ball's coming, and he just doesn't react. I think that Eric Stokes right now is probably a miss. It's a missed draft pick. Now, what's that mean? You've got good depth. I mean, he grades out to be a good, a good number three or a good number four boundary, right? Don't force him into the starting nickel formation because he can't play uh, the starting nickel spot because he can't play that slot, that that slot corner or that uh, that star position. Right. He It is what it is. But don't put him back on the boundary knowing he stinks like hot garbage. It, it you got you got to admit when you make a mistake right now, that looks like a busted first round pick. It does. Right. So let's move on to safety. Well, with that being said, I personally think you need another corner, a boundary corner. That's just me. I do. Now, if if Jair and Rasul are both healthy, awesome. What's that mean? Then you need to go out and get a star corner. You need to get a slot corner, right? So either way, 
I think they need to go out and try to find a starting caliber cornerback, whether it's uh, trying to get a good, a good, you know, uh, a good price on one in free agency or going out and taking another swing and drafting one. I know people don't want to draft more corners, but guys, Eric Stokes is not the guy. I'm sorry, he's not. He may turn it around when he comes back next year. He may come out and play like gangbusters. I hope he does. But right now, the information we have in front of us, it's not him. He's not the one. All right, move on to safety. This is one of the biggest holes on the on the team. First of all, Rudy Ford. Let's talk Rudy Ford. He is not under contract next year. I put him on the list because I'd like to see the Green Bay Packers bring him back. He grades out right now after this bad – he had a bad uh, game this last week, okay? Before that, he was grading out in the 80s. So he's probably coming a little bit – his grade's starting to show a little bit closer to what he naturally is now, which he's grading now as the number 12 safety in the entire NFL, okay? I would like to see them re-sign him back and him be in the starting lineup playing safety. I would. For you know, for whatever reason, they put Savage deep last week and put Amos playing the star, and that really – I think that backfired big time. They didn't do it the entire game, but there was multiple times I looked up and you had Savage and you had Rudy Ford on the shelf and you had Amos down in the box. And, man, they just uh, – they kind of picked us apart. They eat us alive, right? So um, it is what it is. Number two, Darnell Savage. Guys, he grades out as the 81st best safety. He's a backup safety is what he is. He He's not even a good backup safety. I'm just being honest. 80 to, to consider yourself a starting caliber safety, you would need to grade out in the top 64, right? He's 81st. He's a backup safety. We need to start treating him like a backup safety. Get his butt out of the lineup and play somebody else at safety and see what you got because it's not working. Again, a first-round pick that we missed on. So what you're seeing here is that Goody – is missing on first-round DBs. He got Jair. He hit one there, although we're showing you the busted coverages. We're showing you the inconsistencies at, at the most untimely, you know, spots of the game. But another one that, that popped up as a safety, and this is sad, is Shamar Gene Charles. He didn't have a grade, or I didn't want to include the grade because there was minimal snaps. There wasn't even He wasn't even graded for tackling because there was just like one or two snaps he took at safety as an emergency safety. That's not the answer. You've got to go out and get a safety. If you bring Rudy Ford back, you've got to go out and get you a starting caliber safety, period. And and, and I, I, honestly, I want a veteran safety, like what they did with Amos, right? Now, you're probably going, well, is, what's the chances Amos comes back? I don't want him back at the grade he, he performed this year. Guys, he played horrible this year, absolutely horrible. And we we pushed we void, we converted base salary to bonus and voided it out to where he's on the cap next year. He's hitting us on the cap next year, and he's not even on the roster, right? And nobody expected this. I know I didn't, but Adrian Amos is the 23rd highest-graded player on the Packers roster on, on defense, 58.4. I don't want him back. I don't. I mean, he's got to really show something down the stretch, but right now I do not want him back. Safeties are what's really killed this defense. Safety and defensive uh, defensive line interior is what's really hurt this defense this year. So that's kind of how I see it. So quick recap as we wrap up. The positions that I think the Packers need to go out and shop for starters, whether that's trying to get a good deal in free agency or, you know, spending the, the draft collateral, you know, you trade draft picks to get a starting caliber one that you can lock under contract. I'm totally cool with that. I'm to the point now where, you know, think about this, guys. Let's say that you could have you could have traded a first-round pick for a top-10 safety. Just think, just play play along with me for a second here. And I'm a guy who loves the draft, and I love draft picks. But let's say you could have traded a first-round pick for a starting safety, all right? If you had done that, then you would be without Quay Walker, right? 
let's say Quay, you'd be without Quay Walker, but you would have a starting free safety somewhere around 26, 27 years old, lock him into a four-year contract, and you're set at free safety for the next three to four years, right? And what did you miss out on? Quay's grading out as the 60th best linebacker. Isaiah McDuffie is grading higher than him. You're better at the inside linebacker position, and you're better at the safety position. And I'm not saying that anybody's seen this coming. Please, I'm not. This isn't I told you so. I, I was the farthest person uh, from thinking that Adrian Amos was going to fall off a cliff, right? And and also Quay Walker, I'm not saying we need to cut him, trade him, or get rid of him. I think he needs time to develop. I'm just giving you an example going into this offseason. What if you did trade a high draft pick to sure up a position where you know you have a starter void? And free safety is definitely that. So, again, wide receiver, we need a number one wide receiver, a number one tight end, a number one defensive tackle, uh, starting caliber corner, and uh, probably I would focus on the star position there. I would try to get a good slot corner and try to get a good price on one. And then um, safety position, you need a starting safety and try to bring Rudy Ford back. That's how I would attack this roster. So now that that's set, now we can start digging into draft information on later podcasts. I'd like to have Jake on from our It's Always Draft Season podcast and talk about those positions that I feel like are needs and see if he can help me kind of narrow in on what we uh, what we might have an option for in the draft. So just want to do that exercise again to kind of lay things out and give you an idea of what the roster is looking like from a starting perspective as far as looking at grades across the board through the entire league and where our roster stacks up against others, okay? So I hope you enjoyed that. Again, the first part of this podcast was just kind of spur of the moment. It got me thinking. I wonder if people know about how Curly Lambeau tried to buy the team, tried to transfer power or whatever, and that would be a good tie-in with Matt Ramage's uh, tweet and just give my opinion on um, how I think it's absolutely silly that some fans want an actual billionaire owner in here to to bring in extra negative press and uh, most likely, I, I, I'm literally 95% sure if somebody ever bought this team, it'd be a matter of 10 or 20 years, the Green Bay Packers would be moved to another city. So appreciate you guys' time um, uh, coming and hanging out with us. Again, don't forget the giveaway. Go to my Twitter. Make sure you retweet that tweet pinned at the top of the page. Follow the account. That'll get you entered in the contest. And if you want to donate to a good cause and give yourself an opportunity to uh, uh, a better opportunity to win this autographed Paul Horning jersey, um, just look at the tweet that's attached to that with the uh, – the uh, the link there for uh, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. And every $5 you donate, get you entered in the contest another additional time. Thank you guys so much for your time. Have an awesome Tuesday afternoon. We'll be back on Thursday with a, a little special edition of Packers Total Access for your Thanksgiving listening pleasure. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.